Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, what? Th- that was so high pitched. I have no idea what you just said. I'm very low energy today. So I'm like diving deep into this coffee at 6 p.m. <laughs> and you're screaming <laughs> about things. I don't feel like I should be congratulated about anything. So what the hell are you talking about? Also, Alex Trebek died today. There's nothing to celebrate. Okay, yeah, right. I was, uh, uh, yeah, you just took the energy out of that then. I was going to say, you know... I'm sorry. <laughs> the era of Trump is over <laughs> and, and, you, and your Listen. leader is now uh, a strong and capable president. My leader? <laughs> the one that leads you. He's you my and leader. everyone else. If he's my leader, he's your leader too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, let me just be very clear. Okay. Last week, you and I made a prediction. Yeah. That prediction still stands. We got to wait till tomorrow. (laughs) Okay. They literally, the Republicans are sending around stuff saying, take a date, take a breather, supporters. We fight on Monday. (laughs) So so take a breather, Sandy and Nora fans. Uh, The the prediction has yet to be fulfilled. (laughs) Well, and we're going to talk about that as well today. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, but that I think how people are reacting to this is going to be the bulk of what this episode is about. And, um, And I think that you're right. I think that in the end, Trump will have some sort of last laugh, though who knows? Maybe he'll also be at the Four Seasons Backhouse Grill next time <laughs> having toast rather than doing a press conference at the Four Seasons Hotel, which, of course, is a reference to his staff booking the wrong Four Seasons venue and him doing a wonderful press conference at a landscaping business in Philly. It's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, I mean, that that was like. That was comedy. That I laughed at. But <laughs> but I think the best thing to come out of, um, you know, this weekend and, and the best kind of, you know, feeling that one could have, you know, the, the best type of 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 like orientation as to how to look forward comes from Pete Buttigieg. Actually, he he tweeted, if someone you love and care about voted the other way today might be a good day to reach out. Not to talk about politics, but to talk about things that will remind them and yourself why you love and care about them. Isn't that beautiful? Good old rat boy. (laughs) I was like, and it's that shit (laughs) that I kind of want to (laughs) destroy today on the pod. But there's a few things we should talk about first. And I am very, very sad about Alex Trebek, who I used to watch all the time on Jeopardy. And I even, as a you know nerd child, had Jeopardy on Super Nintendo. And <laughs> I know, I know, I did. I did. I really love Jeopardy. <laughs> and, and he's, uh, since coming out here to L.A., I've learned that he's a big supporter of BLM. Oh. So that made me really happy. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, shout out to everyone that did reach for the top because everyone that did reach for the top, of course, has basically a direct connection with Trebek. And I did reach for the top, um, though I have to admit, I don't I don't feel stuff when celebrities die. That might be weird to say. I get that. I get that. That makes sense. I mean, your dad and I talked about it on Twitter. So 
It's fine. I got a Loretto <laughs> to care. <laughs> okay. Yeah. My dad, well, my dad did reach for the top and I think he was uh, hosting actually uh, uh, the, the national reach for the top championships, but I'm not sure my dad made it to the, to a very high level. I mean, he made it probably mm-hmm. like to the city wide. I don't know. I'll have to ask him. Yeah. We got some folks to thank. I'm going to thank this week for their support. Christopher, Catherine, Chris, two different Chris's, Tyler, Kat, Emily, Lorna, Ashley, Philip, and Matthew. Thank you so much again to those folks and to everyone that supports us. We've heard a lot uh, from you in the past couple of weeks, and I haven't actually gone through the Instagram messages, and I'm promising myself I'm going to do that either tonight or tomorrow. So if you've messaged us about something, I will be in touch as soon as I can. Great. And so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to all of those folks. Before we get into it, yes, we will finally discuss the American election. <sighs> Yay. Uh, Yay. But before we get into it, there are a few other things that we want to talk about um, this week because um, there was quite a bit of news this week. And so, um, you know, uh, it, it seems as though people were were really frustrated about what we talked about last week with respect to, to uh, COVID-19 and the way that our politicians are failing. Uh, and then, you know, Doug Ford in Ontario basically removed all restrictions across the province during this mm-hmm. second wave. And um, I just think it's important for us to point that out, because what it really means is that the government, let me translate for you what they're saying with that, is they're saying, well, look, we've looked at the data and we flattened the curve and reduced risk significantly for the portion of the population that we care about. Everyone else, (laughs) go fuck yourself. Everyone else, you're not a priority. Everyone else, it doesn't matter to us. Uh, If uh, if the transmission rates are high or if you're at high risk, because what you mean to us is keeping um, the population that is protected um, comfortable. Uh, So you need Mm -hmm. to continue to be at your jobs and you need to continue to live in the ways that you're living um, that those in in these conditions, which we've created, um, that uh, continue to be terrible risk factors. And so if you've missed if you missed last week's show, uh, 83 percent who have had covid in the city of Toronto are either black or other people of color which is absolutely stunning uh, in, this, in a city where, um, you know, the black population is 9% and 23%, I think, of total uh, transmissions. People of color are 51%. Um, that's absolutely stunning. The curve has been flattened for the wealthiest uh, amongst us and, of course, um, has not for, for those of us who are living in more precarious situations um, that are created by inaction and indifference from our government. And so uh, the Ford government saying that they are going to uh, remove restrictions are, is literally saying, go fuck yourself uh, to, to black people, to people of color, um, and to poor people. And I haven't mentioned indigenous people because um, the data um, explicitly excludes indigenous people. Um, It doesn't really give a reason as to why, but I think that we can um, probably surmise, uh, given uh, how the rest of the data adds up, uh, that Indigenous people are amongst that high risk group as well. So I just, you know, like, let's translate what it means. It should be translated in the news for all of us. It's not being translated that way. 
Uh, but we should be very, very angry about it. Yeah. And I want to just identify that Peel Public Health has decided to then take uh, public health measures into their own hands and they're actually enacting better restrictions. That's right. Uh, locally. That's right. So, you know, watch what public health units are doing in reaction to the Ford government. But that is just it's just so abhorrent. And in, in Sandy, you mentioned indigenous infection rates. I think it's really important to note that, you know, in Saskatchewan, we don't get any real information about who's dying, including if they've if they're related to uh, or connected to a residential care facility. But, uh, you know, Saturday, there were two deaths in the province and they were both in the in the in the north. One was in the, the, the north and one was in the far north. And the odds of that those people being indigenous are quite high. Um, and we know that in the intensive care unit in uh, in Winnipeg right now, half of the folks who are in the ICU are Indigenous. So we might not have race-based data teased out in other parts of this country, but we certainly know that this is how things are unfolding and people need to expect that. And I just want to spend one second talking about the current because, I mean, a lot of people who are following me on Twitter are seeing that I'm getting more and more obsessive with my like absolute fucking denigration of that of that radio show. But this past week, they had um, a little check-in with how COVID's doing in three places in the country, B.C., Manitoba, and Ontario. Interesting that Quebec was not there. Quebec still has the highest number of daily cases. So, I mean, okay. Um, But uh, in in B.C. was the first time that they actually talked about this through a racial, racial lens. And rather than having this discussion about uh, the connection with the workplace and low-income work and precarious work and, and racialized people. It was Matt Galloway did his best to try and personalize this and really make this about personal responsibility, even if the doctor he had on was not really responding in that way to his questions. And so that was pretty enraging. And then he dropped the racial analysis instantly, moved to Ontario, and then went to Manitoba. And in Manitoba, he was grilling a doctor who had signed an open letter with many other doctors condemning the actions of the Manitoba government. And and Galloway quoted a letter from the Minister of Health who claimed that the doctors were just doing this for political reasons, that they were exploiting a political moment. And Galloway literally was like, so are you? Are you exploiting a political moment? Oh, my God. And the doctor was like, uh, what? No, no, no. Like, you just stated the facts on your show of what things are like in the province. Like, it's bad. Fast forward two days and uh, a whistleblower paramedic painted a scene at the Maples Retirement Residence or uh, long-term care facility in Winnipeg, which is a Rivera-owned facility. Rivera uh, is controlled by the Canada Pension Fund and its leadership are appointed by orders and counsel from Cabinet, a.k.a. the Prime Minister's office and others. And the paramedic said that eight ambulances were called at the same time uh, on Friday night. And uh, that's weird. So they they sent, you know, a a larger team, but three ambulances only. And they found the same horrific conditions that we've heard about from the Heron in Montreal, from other places in Toronto, several different places like Orchard Villa in Durham region. And to the point where paramedics found some person who had been very obviously dead for some time because signs of death had already set into the body. So, you know, fuck Matt Galloway and fuck the current, but a way, way, way bigger fuck you to to Brian Pallister and to the Manitoba government. And also fuck Wab Canoe for today being like the solution is the military coming into these facilities. It's just so terrible. And uh, for all the activists doing really good work out in the province of Manitoba, especially in Winnipeg, uh, keep fighting, folks, because uh, you're the only hope. You're the only hope. And the work you're doing is really good and important. That is all extremely disappointing. 
<laughs> mm-hmm. Are you exploiting a political? What does that question even mean? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, also this week, uh, police in Canada have killed two black people that we know of. One is Sheffield Matthews in Montreal, and the other is Coco of Toronto. Uh, Sheffield Matthews was having uh, some sort of uh, mental distress and had a knife, as is a story that we've heard so many times before, a black man um, going through some sort of um, distress and was killed by police, shot seven times. And this is absolutely unconscionable unforgivable and still we see very little uh from politicians um in this country to address this also coco a trans woman in toronto of which i think only two outlets so far have actually reported on this one was toronto.com and cbc finally reported on it days later days after toronto.com the Toronto.com story um, uh, makes clear that uh, the police were called for some sort of robbery. Um, and then they said that there was no robbery t- being taking place, but then, you know, took Coco, this woman, um, into their custody under the Mental Health Act. And we don't know what happened after that, except she was dead in hospital. So... I, you know, like that is very suspect. I don't know why we don't have any more information about that. But also the police and the SIU misgendered her uh, in her death, you know, uh, stripping her of her dignity even after they uh, caused her death. Uh, And again, it's just like, you know... The victims here of this police violence, this anti-black police violence, are just uh, so clearly not valued uh, by our society. Otherwise, uh, the government and the opposition parties would be saying something about this, would have prioritized serving um, bills with teeth about this, changing their policies about this. Municipal governments would be doing more um, to... Uh, work on defunding. I, I will note that Calgary uh, City Council did defund the police this week. Yes. It's, it's small. It was a 5%. But, you know, um, Calgary, I think their funding of the police in general in their um, in their city budget is tends to be lower than the rest of the country. It's like 14% or something like that. But it's still, you know, it is, it, it is, it's not enough for the things that Calgary needs to fund in its, uh, you know, in uh, the the types of social services that need more funding in Calgary. But it is good that it is, um, you know, that Calgary is being a leader in this. uh, And I, you know, I want to see more. Like, where's where are the other cities in, in Canada doing this? Where are the other politicians getting out in front of this and supporting it? Because this is wildly popular amongst Mm -hmm. the population people don't want um the police to be uh killing people in their communities anymore black people and indigenous people in their communities anymore and they understand that the police don't do what we think they do so come on stop being cowards yeah well they were busy this past week with motions related to the poppy so i mean in fairness (laughs) Oh, yeah. Very, very, very important. 
Very, very important. Super crucial. Yeah. So Whole Foods, which is a store that uh, you've probably never heard of um, because there's only fucking 11 or 14 of them in all of Canada. Um, I only know of Whole Foods because I is was that, in an office. Is that right? Yeah. No, there's like, there's almost none. Like they're in Toronto, which is why like we know of them. I mean, you, I think probably yeah. have to shop there now because <laughs> I guess it's an LA thing. I mean, yeah, they're all, yeah, they're all over the place here. Yeah. No, they, they basically don't exist in Canada, but they, um, they're like, yeah, we're enforcing our uh, uniform policy and so you can't wear poppies. And it just sent that perfect frequency off into the fucking cerebral cortex of all politicians being like, oh, I can use this politically. And everyone did. Uh, and, and so, you know, the NDP normally completely fucking like unable to do anything in the House of Commons moved a really critical motion to condemn Whole Foods and call the fucking CEO uh, into a House of Commons committee or something. If he were what? to enter into Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, fu- it's funny. It's really right? meaningless symbolism. Yeah. Yeah. Let's like, do it. <laughs> let's let's get on it right away. <laughs> they never did that for Galen Weston. Right. The, the head of Loblaws, who's got an entire fucking province locked out right now with the Dominion food workers in Newfoundland. They, they who also fucking cut pay, uh, the hazard pay and who you know, stole from all of us through their bread price fisting scandal. Thanks, Pete Buttigieg. Um, It's, uh, yeah, yeah, so that was the federal government. The provincial government has done something, uh, obviously, as well. Doug Ford's like, "Uh, no one's going to stop poppy wearing, so we're going to make it uh, every employee's right to wear a poppy. Um, And that motherfucker, in in this promising this piece of legislation, literally did more than uh, any other workplace-related COVID safety measure passed by legislation since the beginning of the pandemic. I looked that up. <laughs> wow. That's, um, yep. that's absolutely infuriating. And I know that you have an article coming up about this at uh, some point soon, but I, I do also want to mention that the reason that, uh, the, that Whole Foods has this rule actually stems from the 2020 BLM uprisings where their employees, their workers were wearing masks that said Black Lives Matter on them. And that's why uh, um, these workers are no longer allowed to wear symbols that show their support for something. Uh, But the politicians didn't really jump to anything there, did they? Did they? Very curious. Very curious that it's now where it's the issue hmm no hmm i was curious <sighs> but anyway we have to start talking about the election or we're gonna run out of time <laughs> so fuck i'm actually you know what it, as a as a pivot point i am so sick of meaningless symbolism in politics <laughs> i'm just really 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 sick of it i and um i'll mention that before election day uh, on debate day, um, there was uh, what, on the final debate that uh, Biden and Trump had against one another. Um, you know, they they get to the point of the debate where they're finally going to talk about racial justice. And the question was, black families often have to have a talk with their children about what it's going to be like uh, to interact with the police. Like, how do you feel 
about the fact that black families have to have that talk. And I just wanted to destroy everything. Like you could have asked any question about racial justice that was materially relevant. (laughs) Like I actually don't care (laughs) about how anybody feels about the talk other than other black people talking to other black people about it. Okay. (laughs) I don't care about it. In any other context. And uh, we uh, who, who gives a shit what Biden thinks about that? Of course, he's going to say, man, that sucks like that. <laughs> yeah, obviously, I want to hear him talk about policies. And I don't know why we're so afraid of that. I'm also sick and tired of election bullshit where, you know, you're watching um, whether it's polls or you're watching the results come in and people are like doing math and like, you know, referring to geography where we could be talking about policies that entire time we could be talking about well you know um here's an analysis of what's happening in the midwest with respect to these particular policies you know farmers have been affected this way by these particular uh trade agreements which have had led people to feel this particular way about an issue you know like we can talk about actual politics uh when we're talking about I don't know, politics, <laughs> you know what I mean? Rather yeah. than these superficial platitudes that mean nothing, that mean nothing. And I feel so, so tired of of that. And there's been a lot of that this weekend since the vote uh, or that since the, um, the, the election has been called. The results have been announced or whatever. Uh, projected (laughs) (laughs) right yeah yeah it's it's pretty clear that there is an establishment that is just so relieved that they won and that they know that they have to talk about things in a certain way to maintain people's excitement and so they play up a lot of the representational politics side of it and that helps to ignore the fact that they still, the establishment of the Democratic Party still despises the left wing of the Democratic Party, still certainly despises left wing politics, left wing activists. And yeah, I too have been just so bored and uh, annoyed by the representational politics discussion in the way that it's played out and at the expense of, of policy. And the real kind of thing that's just been so frustrating is how this has particularly played out in Canadian media Mm. where they, you know, they get really interesting guests, guests who probably can answer any question you throw at them around policy and racial justice or policies and climate change and climate and and climate racism or uh, how uh, anything that Biden promised is going to make things better or worse. You know, you can throw all these questions at people like professors and and, and public intellectuals who have been doing this kind of thinking and doing this kind of work for the last four years. And all we got in Canadian media this past week was just like, so there's a lot of Hispanics in Florida uh, who voted Trump. I mean, I think I heard that question four times on the CBC in the past week. And, like, it's just, one, very clear that no one is equipped to have proper fucking political discussions anymore, that all they can do is just regurgitate what they see the American networks doing. And, like, at least in the United States, it is their country. <laughs> like, yeah. it's at least politics that are affecting them in a very specific way. In Canada, you're, it's like, rather than trying to even pull anything interesting out of these discussions, we get the most basic 
basic level of discussion with absolutely no introspection for what for what it means in Canada. And it's really tiresome. It's like, Mm -hmm. is Joe Biden going to be radically different than any other Democratic president? No, he is not. Is he going to even be radically different from Joe Biden 30 years ago or 40 years ago? Maybe he'll be a little bit different. What about Kamala Harris? What about her record uh, in uh, in California? What about the criticisms about? No, now is not the time to talk any about that stuff. Now is the celebration because it's like ding dong, the witch is dead. And people are like, I don't know, seemingly completely forgetting that Trump's not dead, that Trump is still the president, that he will be the president at least until the end of this year. And he will inflict maximum fucking damage if he can. Instead, oh, we're just going to make fun of him. And it's like, yeah, fine, make fun of him. If he can... If he can't, he totally can. (laughs) Like, the president of the United States has so much power in government as the head of the executive branch. And he is, it's like everyone's forgotten that he is still president. People are literally like, the Trump era is over. Oh, my God. He's going to be at his most angriest and most ready to burn it all down starting tomorrow. Oh, gosh, no, the Trump saga is not yet over. And no one should pretend that it is. He is tweeting in all caps, (laughs) which should let you know that he is not planning in on just disappearing with his tail between his legs. And we should not pretend that we're living in any other sort of universe. There's just so much bullshit talk about how people voted for unity and, uh, you know, we're going to build America and America's going to, the Democrats are going to reach across the aisle and blah, blah, blah. That, I promise you, is not where we're at (laughs) (laughs) at all. That's not what's going to happen. And... And it's like, you know, the indifference of politicians like Biden, uh, politicians like Justin Trudeau, ignoring the rise of white supremacy is what creates a person like Trump. It's what creates a conservative party that's interested in having um, what's their motto right now uh, to take Canada back. Like that's that's what creates that stuff is is not addressing it like We've talked before on this show about how many Canadians are actually involved in the rise of white supremacist violence over white supremacist violence um, uh, to the south. Um, And, you know, like this is a coordinated campaign. It's a coordinated effort. And we should not pretend that it's not. And those folks had a taste of what it's like to have their people to have someone who supports fascism and openly supports white supremacy, not to say that the others don't. It's just someone who openly supports um, uh, white supremacy uh, in power. Uh, they're not going to be they're not going to be silent now. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this has been um, a long campaign that started before the Tea Party. For those of you who remember that, okay, and it's gonna it's going to continue. And those are the ways that we should be having a conversation. Uh, about uh, about the results of of the election, you know, and it is significant that uh, 
it, the cities that brought the win, the cities that brought those, you know, less than a percent margin <laughs> wins uh, to the Democratic Party are cities that are majority black or have significant black populations who are literally um, organizing and voting to to make sure that, you know, that the, the types of conditions that they find themselves in don't worsen. Mm. But they need more than just indifference from people in power after they've done something like that. A lot of people grit their teeth uh, to 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 vote in these ways. And it's it's actually so fucking disrespectful and such a weird way uh, to engage in politics, just ignoring the truth and pretending that some something else <laughs> some other reality that maybe you just want or that makes you feel good uh, is is here. And, you know, I, I tweeted something about it because I was annoyed after hearing someone on uh, on the news talk about, you know, how what a wonderful, um, you know, era of politics we were entering now. Uh, and some folks responded to me like, can can you just let people uh, celebrate? Like, just let people celebrate. <laughs> Like, we know we still have to organize, but just like let people celebrate. It's like, look, okay, I'm not saying that people can't celebrate. That's not at all what I'm saying. And I understand, especially for organizers who did a lot of work to bring this um, uh, this result forward. I get it. Yeah, fucking, you know, be happy about your organizing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's not much else to be happy about there. Like, be happy about the <laughs> fact that Trump is leaving. Sure. But don't pretend that we are living in a world that we're not. Because that is dangerous. Mm -hmm. The thing that I was most uh, struck by, I think, in everything that I've read in the last week and then what I saw from the way the campaign had organized itself was that the Biden campaign had early on made the decision to not do kind of ground campaigning to not do door-to-doors, to not have big events. And it was all under the guise of COVID. And what carried the day for the Democratic Party were the activists who are not necessarily Democrat activists. Like, they vote Democrat, obviously, but they're activists in different in different ways, like with different movements. And um, I saw Linda Sarsour tweet about how uh, you know, she was able to, with lots of other people, knock on doors in six different states and do it safely. And I saw similar comments about people mobilizing um, actually across the United States. And just like the the complete um, absence of that winning the day for the for the Democrats versus the obsession with a group like the Lincoln Project, um, trying to convince Republicans oh to go into the Democratic Party. And, and then, of course, uh, then like the DNC is just incapable of like thanking the left for actually doing the heavy lifting to to push these margins to where they were. I mean, if you don't have a ground campaign, you're not going to increase voter turnout. That's pretty much simple. And it's, you know, with the highest uh, popular vote, um, I think, whatever, uh, that is thanks to activists. And that's thanks to mobilizing. 100 percent. And let me just say, um, you know, like I know in L.A. people were doing uh, door knocking. There was large door knocking campaigns and so on. But I just got the numbers uh, from uh, BLM. Uh, BLM uh, did direct voter engagement with 60 million people. 
<laughs> okay? 60 million people, direct voter engagement. That's like doors, phone banking, uh, t- phone banking and text, whatever. You know, and this is an organization that doesn't really care for partisan politics at all and did not engage in the 2016 election, but decided that uh, there was a responsibility to engage in this particular election and that organization alone. And that's amongst a whole host of other black organizations and uh, uh, similar organizations who are coordinated around, um, you know, bringing justice for their communities, uh, 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 doing this work. So if BLM alone did 60 million, I can only imagine what, you know, the movement for black lives did or uh, color of change or other such organizations. Yeah. And that's like the most, I think, the most interesting part of this. Like, what was it about Joe Biden that brought people out? The answer is it wasn't about Joe Biden. (laughs) It was about Donald Trump. And, you know, there was some kind of snarkiness around like, oh, Bernie would have won. And that's a whole other discussion. And I'm sure Bernie would have fucking won. (laughs) But um, but the but the Democrats installed someone who is the most establishment possible. The most establishment candidate who ran for the leadership, the guy who's been in politics for fucking 42 years. And um, and it's just so full of cheese. I mean, if I have to hear him say, uh, do, like, I'll keep the faith like one more time and I just like fucking gag myself or the fact that he quoted the literal worst hymn in the Catholic Book of Worship, like the fucking literal worst hymn he quoted in his um, in his acceptance speech or whatever. It's uh, called On Eagle's Wings. You can look it up if you don't know it. Um, I have nothing but hatred for this song. <laughs> it's like this. This is a guy who embodies so much about what makes Donald Trump popular. And so the question really going forward is how then does struggle continue in the face of a, a Biden administration while the Trump support will mutate into something? They'll mutate into I don't know, more terrorism, more more violence. Maybe they go actually fully underground for four years. I doubt it. Maybe. Um, of course, there's other kinds of mobilizing because they actually have a ground game. Like Donald Trump was the one that did all those campaign events. He fucking left people eight miles from their car and they almost died to get back to their cars. And I bet every single one of them still voted for that mm-hmm. piece of shit. And so like there is clearly no discussion about what the Democrats have to do or what they'll be able to do, I guess, because it's always like couched in, well, they can't do that much. And it's like, well, as you said, the, the president has a lot of power. And so like what will be the first moves that Biden makes? What will be what uh, the demands that, that activists make on him or what kind of power will the Republicans have in the Senate? Because I know that that's still kind of a question, although it looks like it's going to be a Republican controlled Senate. Yeah, it's just the 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 surface coverage from this past week has been definitely very very annoying and um and especially in Canada we just have not gotten any analysis for what this means for Canada. So maybe I don't know, maybe we should talk about that. Well, yeah, I mean we we don't know too much yet because we you know like the policy isn't super deep. Um but I do think what what I think would have would have been a really um, useful conversation for uh, Canadian media to have and media in the United States, quite frankly, um, is not like, you know, this is the end of the Trump era and we've, you know, the, the United States has voted for uh, what or the things they're saying, like decency and character or whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's like, look, let's zoom out a little bit and take a look at what's been happening around the world. This is a 
Trump is just a representative of a problem um, that is, uh, you know, a worldwide problem. It has organizing roots that are both online and offline and has resulted in, um, you know, terrible administrations in the Philippines, in India, in the UK, in Brazil, in the US. And there are these candidates everywhere. And these candidates also exist in Canada. And we might laugh about Maxime Bernier, but, you know, how far behind uh, Maxime Bernier is or how far in front? I don't know how to, you know, where to spatially locate Aaron O'Toole <laughs> in this. <laughs> but, you know, like the <laughs> there the the conservative establishment around the world has certainly taken note that this type of really heinous rhetoric works for them. It gets them power. And so they are no longer afraid to engage in it. What we would have called uh, the alt-right or the extreme right in uh, 2010, in 2014, in 2016, is now just the right. That's who the right has become. That's what it is. Mm. And, you know, we're hearing today that uh, Joe Biden is thinking of of uh, appointing Mitt Romney as like a health some sort of health uh, guy sure. like you know to 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 pretend as though we are doing politics in the pre Obama era that's not what's <laughs> it's not where we are anymore and we have got to stop pretending that that's where we are too many people have already lost too much um, as a result of us ignoring um, this very, very real problem. When are we going to talk about it, actually? Mm-hmm. And not talk about it as though it's just characters, as though it's just Trump, what a terrible guy. As though Pence isn't right behind him, also about to be a par- terrible guy, <laughs> you know? Or yeah. Bol- Bolsonaro, what a weirdo. As though that's not also <laughs> a part of like this this very broad um, shift that we see in the right. Um, And in Canada, that's, you know, that starts with Stephen Harper, you know, like that is a part Mm -hmm. of the story. And that is how the story should be told and should be discussed. Well, but not just that, like what's also the role that the liberals and in our case, the NDP play in fueling that rise? Like Mm -hmm. all of the, the criticism that I see around Justin Trudeau from the right you could explain from a left wing perspective other than the racism the straight up racism but a lot of the of the of the anger about being ignored about politics not reaching people about it all being for show like it's all fair criticism and we like and the, so the liberals i mean they have a massive problem because they're just so talk 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 and do literally nothing of what they promise that that disenfranchises franchises people, disenfranchises people and it makes people frustrated. But then you also have a left wing that is just so confused. I mean, you know, the Canadian Labor Congress president, Hassan Youssef, put out a, a, a support last week for Bill Morneau to become the head of the OECD. And it was oh, like, I did see that. <laughs> oh, like, what are you doing? What? And, and, you know, everyone who's critical of it has like, you know, their brain working is like, oh, he's trying to get a Senate appointment, which is probably the case because, I mean, he's been very pro-liberal since he um, became president of the of the CLC. But it was instantly condemned by the largest unions who are members of the CLC. So, you know, there's there's some some clear kind of like lines that are drawn. You know, you, Bill Morneau is clearly on the boss's side. He's not on the side of fucking working people. But that also means that neither is just 
Justin Trudeau. And so how do you needle these guys to make sure that you actually are holding them to account? You are pointing out hypocrisy. You are putting forward ideas that can actually work for average people, but not just work for them, but come from them. So you don't have to like convince people that these are good ideas for them. Um, and this, I think, is where the the left in Canada is so confused. And so, I mean, the mainstream left, I don't actually think like progressive people who are who are activists are confused by this. But, you know, the, the NDP, like trying to score like these ridiculous points with the poppy stuff or their big idea that they served on the opposition day being uh, a, a guaranteed livable income plus more taxation for people who make $20 million. It's just like, <laughs> that's your big fucking idea. And like a housing plan, like God, the, sorry, that's the baseline. That's the base. That's not a fucking big idea. Yeah. And like, we're not even seeing creativity. Like the things that are breaking through into the mainstream are bucking the mainstream. Fuck people being like, wow, AOC plays video games and talks to average people. It's like, sorry, fucking guys, that's not that innovative. That's just her being authentic and she's smart. And the problem is, is that anyone in Canada who is authentic is actively shut out of the NDP unless they also can fucking find their way in in a different way. And those people are few and far between. Mm-hmm. And so we're just watching the the, the, the the seeds be sowed for an Aerono tool prime ministerial campaign. It's going to happen in the next election. That's pretty obvious, I would say. And the, for what? And it, there's just no... There's nothing from, from, the, from the bureaucratic NDP labor left that is going to inspire people to look at politics in a different way. And it's really very, um, uh, uh, I want to say disappointing and frustrating, but it's more just like, you just can see it coming. You can just see Aaron O'Toole running towards us being like, make Canada great again. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we, we saw that. Oh man, the, the, the opposition parties, um, well, the NDP is who I'm really talking about here needs to just like um, really think about how they're going to reach people in between now and the next election, because it's not in the way that they're doing politics right now. And again, like I say, this is all very much related to the, to what's happened in the United States. Like the stakes are just way too high. The right is, you know, we might make fun of them. Uh, We might say like, you know, these ideas are stupid or, you know, silly and should be uh, roundly, um, uh, you know, thrown aside. I can't remember the word that I'm looking for. What's the word? Should be mocked. (laughs) uh, Should be, uh, you know, should be roundly discredited was the word that I'm looking for. uh, but they are their their organizing is actually quite sophisticated. That's why we're in the place that we are right now. And um, they that we should we should uh, recognize them as sophisticated and understand that part of what they do is that they go into, um, you know, they boldly go into communities uh, to 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 make their mark like the. The, the Trump administration mm-hmm. is doing something or Aaron O'Toole is doing something that the Trump administration uh, was doing right up until Election Day. The Trump administration calls themselves um, the party of the workers. And you see Aaron O'Toole had started to do that before he won um, the conservative leadership campaign. 
Like they were talking about the Conservative Party being the party of the workers. And I mean, the NDP is supposed to be the party of the workers, but they're not you know, going into those into those places in the way that they should be or could be. Conservatives are not afraid to like just go in and use, into religious spaces, into um, different uh, types of fucking communities that you wouldn't have expected them to be in, even when it doesn't work, you know, like even when black people are like, uh uh-huh, no, goodbye, they are still trying to portray themselves as the party for black people. Here's here's how we um, talk about prison reform and here's how we uh, talk about, uh, you know, um, making life better for black people. But we don't even see that on the left. The left is just afraid uh, to, to discuss like some of the hardest issues in, in our society. So like, look, um, the NDP has to do uh, politics differently. We, it's just, it's just like the stakes are already too high right now. Like as we talked about in the beginning with respect to COVID, with respect to Coco, with respect to uh, Sheffield Matthews, you know, um, and all the names of this summer, Joyce Eshaquan, Anthony Ost, Rodney Levi, you know, like there's so many people. We we can't stand to have the, you know, um, quote unquote normal brand of white supremacy that we have right now. Uh, we certainly can't afford um, a more overt situation. And so we need, we need, we need the media to step up in the way that we we talk about these issues. And we need the opposition parties we need the NDP, uh, Quebec Solidaire, uh, to do the Green Party, um, to do politics differently. If we're, you know, going to survive um, through this era of politics, which is quite frankly not an era of unity at the fuck all.